The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today I'm excited to welcome back an old friend of ours, Dr. J.R. Hardin. He's one of my heroes. I'll tell you why later. He's an FSU professor. He's an author, he's a speaker, but he's really a true champion for those of us with uh, disabilities. Welcome back, JR. Well, thank you, Hacky. It's just always a pleasure to be with you, to be with friends, and to meet new friends through your international audience, telling the story and the different journeys of living an active and fulfilled life as a person with a disability. And you are a professor at FSU, so I want to start off with, tell us about the special courses that you're teaching and where you've made a difference at this major university. Uh, well, thank you. Um, first, I, um, I need to give FSU a shout out um, because uh, they have uh, embraced the idea of diversity. They've embraced the idea of inclusion and they've embraced the idea of empowerment of uh, students and alum um, and their faculty with uh, varying um, abilities, so to speak. And uh, I teach um, in the College of uh, Business, the management department, specifically three courses. Um, one is called Man 4310. The other is Man 4143, Leadership, and the other is an IDS, 1107. So most of my students are juniors and seniors finishing up the, uh, their college degree um, in management, HR, um, risk management, or maybe it's finance. Um, but then other students are just beginning their journey, specifically that of freshmen with disabilities who are entering the post-secondary environment. And as we know well, and many of your audience members know, that there's a big difference between K-12 systems and mom and dad in the system making decisions for young people versus now young adults who need to self-identify, advocate, and uh, adapt to this sometimes uh, unfriendly world that wasn't necessarily built for individuals with uh, disabilities, but yet we figure out how to navigate, accommodate, and excel in environments that uh, can be uniquely challenging for the various um, disabling conditions, whether it's, uh, you know, a uh, dyslexia, uh, it could be uh, autism, it could be a spinal cord injury, it could be um, hard of hearing, or it could be low vision or blindness. It doesn't matter. We, we, we meet the spectrum. So I'm really excited to talk about this MAN 4310 course, which is titled Workforce Inclusion Through the Eyes of Employees and Staff with Disabilities. Tell our audience a little bit about your rather minor disabilities. My minor, right. <laughs> um, 
you've made the minor because nothing stops you. You're like indestructible. But go ahead, well, tell me. I, well, I, I think I'm beginning to run out of my my nine lives, right? Uh, similar to you and and your heavyweight days. At at some point, you got to throw in the towel and get out of the ring. But um, it's not time yet. I'm actually coming up on my 40th anniversary of living an active life with spinal cord injury. Uh, so on September 25th, 1983, I became a quadriplegic in a blink of an eye. I, I, I tried to walk away from that schoolyard disagreement and turn the other cheek and do the right thing. And I was grabbed from behind and thrown down to start a schoolyard fight and just landed funny. And just like that, I became a quadriplegic. 15 years later, having reconciled the drama, having learned how to live independently, having achieved a few uh, college degrees, entered the workforce, and I was finishing my doctorate, I went through the windshield at 75 miles an hour and broke both thighs, right above the knee, the left shoulder, and then the spinal cord for the second time and became more of a quadriplegic. And um, then of course, um, living with my own neurodiversity and struggled with a little dyslexia, um, still do, we all do, we just learn how to work around it. And um, uh, my own self-addiction issues and having to get uh, some support and some intervention in that space. So you're quite right. I've got a handful of disability merit badges and I, I've, uh, I, I think have been a bit of a pioneer in this journey to uh, find my manifest destiny or my, my bliss. And my bliss is being that educator, of being that advocate, of changing the way people think about inclusion and the possibilities and independent living for people with disabilities. Now you tackle big organizations too. When I say tackle, you embrace them, you bring them into the fold, you educate them. Let's talk about that strategy and how it's going. Um, well, some of those uh, could be right corporate America. It could be Disney. It could be Delta Airlines. It could be um, a, a bank, it could be apartment complexes, it, it could be recreation, it could be the state park system. So all of those uh, venues and partners, to me, um, it's just folks who just haven't had the Kool-Aid like you just had right now, right? And, and through our inclusion, through our accessibility standards, uh, we're starting to realize like we have through the COVID, that accommodations work for everybody, and that everybody needs a little helping hand, and that it should be perceived as special, but appropriate and necessary tools for everyone to excel. And, and so it, it's been exciting to move the bar in areas like employment, physical access, cruise ships, air travel, and um, um, employment issues 
for people with disabilities over the past 40 years. Now, let's just talk about two of the companies you have a special relationship with, Disney and Delta, okay? Tell us about some of the uh, differences going on with these organizations, if you're at liberty to do so. Well, I, let's just um, talk on it from general uh, generalities, in the sense that both companies believe in customer service. Both companies believe in making dreams come true, right? Both companies believe that they are richer, better, and stronger by allowing the family or the individual to independently enjoy their services. You brought up just such an interesting point. Many times we feel that, oh, the companies are doing us a favor being humanitarian, but I like the way you appeal to their bottom line in the same way we do when we advocate for inclusion and neurodiversity. Don't do it to be nice, do it to improve your bottom line. Talk about that a little bit. Well, that's the bottom line, right? As we're talking three, four, five, six hundred billion dollars in disposable income within the disability community, right? So going back to your point, are you building a business that's going to leave 20% or $500 billion on the sidelines? Or, right, are you going to just simply be satisfied with less profits, less productivity, less engagement, less audience, right? It, it, it doesn't make sense. And we, we have learned that um, investing, right, in uh, areas that celebrate or embrace the uh, different populations just fundamentally do better. I mean, think about um, for those of you who are not in Florida or in the Southeast, Think about our, our Publix grocery stores. We go to the Publix grocery store, one, to get a good product, but two, it's a safe space and a space that celebrates our various abilities because that's their values, it's their culture. And you know what? They actually get away with charging us a little more for this experience. <laughs> Nobody cares because it is, worth the ticket. It's worth the, uh, the price tag. So there are a lot of different stages that an organization goes through when they're trying to fill a position to having someone long-term in that position. Can you take us through the various kinds of accommodations that might be done along the way? Well, yes. Um, one of the tenants in my class and the man 4310, which is about workforce inclusion. There is a um, seven tenet or bullets to measuring the success, leading the way, 
right? Building a business of culture, having that pipeline of outreach and recruitment and internships, right? Grabbing folks, right? You and I remember at age 12 and 13, we were shoveling snow and cutting grass, right? Or um, we were helping uh, people ch change the roofs. Well, people now have different kinds of internships. So why shouldn't we be giving uh, this next generation those appropriate spaces in our office environments or our construction companies or lawn care companies? Right? So how about then hiring and keeping the best talent? Right? Through um, inclusive training, right? Accessible technologies, making sure people have the tools they need on the job as quickly as possible to be able to start earning their paychecks. And that's a natural segue to, in your course, where you cover so much of this, let's talk about universal design. What role does that play? Well, thank you. That's, that's a, a whole day and a half, two days worth of lectures, right? And universal design has seven principles involved. Um, and it's the next evolution of what access means, right? When you go into a property or a business or a hotel or a park, and it just feels good, right? Uh, there aren't barriers. You're not standing there waiting for someone to open the door for you, or you're able to independently access all goods and services. It just simply makes good sense, right? And so building, building spaces and programs under the UD principle, you know what? It removes the need to have as many reasonable accommodations because access has been built in. So if you think about why did the iPhone work so well? Well, it was intuitive. It was logical. It was simple to use. It's kind of like going to the ATM. You can do that whether you're visually impaired or not visually impaired. It's intuitive. They all operate the same way. Well. That's the same idea. And um, some of the challenges I put on my students is to go out and look at biz businesses, look at state and local government operations, and to say, hey, are we meeting a minimum standard here where you still feel a little different as opposed to a business who brought the universal design component where you just simply integrate seamlessly and naturally. What has the feedback been on your course from your students? Uh, well, that's first when you have hundreds of students, you always have a few who are the naysayers and they say, you worked me too hard. Okay, <laughs> but you know, most of the students will say, and if you Google, they, they rank professors now and things like that. And so there's all kinds of talk on the street of what's this faculty member like. 
and they will all say, he works you hard, but the work is applicable, the work is real world, and the work makes sense for my career, right? And I'm, I'm just simply touched. The other day I received an email from a student who said, oh my God, I just saw this video and this was what you were talking about. This is why I now in the HR field. Or you, you got another email coming back and said, I'm still talking to my colleagues about some of the exercises you made us do and I'm more prepared to excel right in the workforce than the others. Or a really simple piece is how about making accessible documents? Being able to communicate in any mode on any platform in which anyone with any ability can read, understand, and react to. Very well said. How can our audience want to learn more about you? Learn more about you. Oh, well, you're too kind, Hacky. And uh, the audience can learn more about me by Googling Florida State University, going to my personal webpage at jrharding.com, or they can simply um, call me, and I would be happy uh, uh, to, to accept their call at 850-510-4628. There are two books, as you indicated. Oh, we have two books out there, one called Now What? and the other called ADA Adventures, right? Living that active life from travel to politics to workforce to healthcare to um, independent living to how about spousal uh, relationships, right? It's all a bit of a challenge for us, but it, it's one that I think most of us thrive on learning how to be engaged and uh, uh, members of the community. Is there anything else you'd like to cover that we have not touched on? Well, I, I, I think, yes, that the workforce inclusion class, right? The, the purpose really was, how do we prepare the next generation of leaders, right? to tap into the overlooked and underutilized population, which is people with disabilities. But we fundamentally bring greater innovation, greater dedication, right? And um, the ability to solve problems and to see goods and services in a way that other members of the uh, workforce do not. And so the class is tailored to take the 80% of the population, right or wrong, they just simply haven't experienced the disability community. So 80% are out there becoming leaders without any idea how to tap into that 500, 600, 700, 800 billion dollars worth of this um, discretionary resources out there. And so how do we then give them the education, the empowerment and the engagement to be a part of and be unafraid of 
the 20% of us who are living with various levels of disabilities. And so as we make that fraction smaller or closer together, the idea of universal design and the need for special laws and special tools will continue to be reduced because the truth is we are better off through our um, inclusion of people with disabilities because what's good for me and my family is really good for Hackey's family. <laughs> and good for America and good for the world. Right. Well, it's no wonder you've been a two-time U.S. presidential appointee, a seven-time Florida gubernatorial appointee. You've been leadership Florida, leadership Tallahassee, Florida Network on Disabilities, Citizens Advisory Committee, Delta Airlines Disability Advisory Board, and the list goes on and on. JR, right. great to hang out with you. Keep up the good work and look forward to seeing you again soon. Sounds wonderful. Bye-bye. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.